0: Welcome to the Couch Potatoes, I'm Brett McGarry. This week is going to sound an awful lot like last week because last week we had a series of big previews.
1: This week we have a series of big reviews. I'm Jeff Braun. Yes, we both saw Top Gun Maverick and we loved it and we're not the only ones.
0: And as it pertains to that review, you're about to hear something you haven't heard on this show in a long time. Also, we have reviews of Obi-Wan Kenobi,
1: Stranger Things 4 But let's start with Top Gun Maverick It's the number one movie in North America Take a look at this
0: The man, the legend This is going to take you and your aircraft to the breaking point What the hell? Make us proud My dad believed in you I'm not going to make the same mistake
1: Oh my god, here they go! Those are your pilots. If anything happens to them,
0: you'll never forgive yourself. There we are. Top Gun Maverick. Rated PG-13.
1: Top Gun Maverick is the long-awaited sequel to 1986's Top Gun, which launched Tom Cruise to superstardom. It sat on the shelf for the last couple of years, suffering the indignity of several release date pushbacks thanks to the pandemic, of course, but it finally saw the light of day this past week, and it raked in a ton of money. It is Tom Cruise's first $100 million weekend opening, which is kind of bizarre given how many big movies he's had. It's made over $320 million worldwide in its first week, and we're here to say it's not just a successful Movie. It's also a great movie. Might even go so far as to say it is a perfect movie. Let's begin at the beginning. I'll try not to spoil anything major, but there's not really much you can actually spoil because from the outset, this movie does what you think it's going to do and confidently so, which is what helps it rise above expectations. It opens with a title credits montage of sorts that's combined with the music and the visuals and the credits themselves that just instantly take you back to the original Top Gun. And I will say one of the credits says, Music by Harold Faltermeyer, Lady Gaga, and Hans Zimmer, and I almost applauded for that. Faltermeyer, if you don't recognize the name, was the king of synth pop scores in the 80s. He didn't only do the original Top Gun, but he also did very memorable scores for movies like Beverly Hills Cop and Fletch. Uh, The credits end, we're into the movie, and we find out what Tom Cruise's Maverick has been up to these past 36 years. He's definitely not been overachieving career-wise, but he does seem to be enjoying himself as a test pilot, and he proves to be the guy we thought he was, just a little older and wiser, still has the swagger, still has the cojones to do things his way, even if his superiors disapprove. Maverick is soon summoned back to Top Gun, where the elite of the elite fighter jet pilots square off against each other. But this is a little different than the competition-based program that he was in all those years ago. Now he has to train graduates from Top Gun for a dangerous, almost dare I say it, impossible mission. And we meet these pilots. They're reminiscent of the crew from Mavericks class. Mostly, you know, they're cocky in a fun way. They're confident because, A, they're very good at what they do and, B, they have to be to do what they do. And one of them is Goose's son, Miles Teller, sporting the same mustache as his dear departed father. His call sign is Rooster, which is makes son. if the dad is named Goose. Why not have the kid be named after a different bird? Um, another one of them is called Hangman, and he's the Iceman of the group. And yes, the similarities between the two movies are often that obvious. But there is something fresh. about this movie it's very much telling its own story and while there are a ton of callbacks in the form of fan service to be sure they fit well with the new story it's really incredible how well the movie just walks this tightrope of being its own thing and paying homage to the original Top Gun. Frankly, this is a better movie than the original Top Gun. The one in the 80s was more about vibe and looking cool than you know locking down story beats and being emotionally resonant in a real way, but that was the 80s in Hollywood in general. Times change, and the movie reflects that, and the movie is often literally about that maverick is old school rooster and hangman and friends are the new school and even they are of course in danger of being replaced by drones so the movie reflects a lot on the passage of time within the story itself and then for us as the audience seeing the change times on display cinematically a blockbuster movie about fighter jets you know has no real business connecting on as many levels as this one does in so many ways it just exceeds expectations which I wasn't expecting, especially after all the hype the past few years, as it kept getting pushed back, the anticipation kept growing. You know, how could it live up to that hype? But it does, and then some. Even the romance subplot. I mean, he hooks up with an old flame played by Jennifer Connelly. Uh, It's worth the effort. She doesn't get a ton to do, but she's radiant as ever. And it seems the crush I had on her 20 years ago remains fully intact. Then, of course, you know, there are the dogfights. That's what we paid money for. And they really live up to the hype. It's a must-see on the big screen. The fighter jet stuff is worth the price of admission. A lot of the footage, of course, is real, not CGI. And the structure of the movie uses it much like the original, although, again, in the 1986 movies, you know, they were just doing exercises for points, trying to beat each other. Here, they're actually doing exercises as training for a real important mission. And Cruz, the teacher, puts them through the paces. And of the dozen pilots that that are involved, he'll choose a handful for the mission at the end. And then, of course, we get to see the mission play out. That's just great. It goes to some unexpected places, but uh, your jaw will drop. Um, the whole time I was sort of thinking to myself You know, when is this movie going to do something dumb Or unforgivable Or reveal itself to be less than stellar And it just never happened Wire to wire, a good time Fun, fresh, nostalgic and eye-popping feast for the senses Literally the best case scenario For a sequel to Top Gun after all these years They could not have made a better movie And for that, Brett I am giving Top Gun Maverick Our highest honor The full sectional The sectional The yeah.
0: Sectional! Yeah, baby! <laughs> yeah, I, um... When you to- texted me that, that you, you... Jeff sent me a text saying, break out The Sectional because this movie is awesome. So, I wasn't planning to go see it this weekend, and that just made me... It sort of nudged me out the door. So I just went to see it yesterday on Wednesday. We record the show on Thursday. And because I had planned to go see it on... Wednesday I decided to rewatch the 1986 original on Tuesday it's available on Crave and I haven't watched it <sighs> I don't honestly remember it's got to be at least 25 years and I don't know that I've ever seen it
1: more than once
0: um yeah.
1: I had never seen it in my life until like two or three years ago and now I've seen it twice cuz I watched it again a couple weeks ago dude.
0: Okay. So I I'm glad I watched it. I was wondering I probably don't need to rewatch this, but I'm glad I did because the, you could easily see make the comparisons and see the similarities and see the things that they're paying tribute to. But um eight, that original movie, it's fun. The action at the end actually still holds up surprisingly well. Like I was on the edge of my seat, so to speak. And but it was Okay, like it's kind of a cheesy movie. It's hokey, very 80s. It's a fun movie, but it's nothing special. Top Gun Maverick, on the other hand, this might be the most exciting movie I have ever seen. I was just so thrilled. I like that the movie honors the past without soaking in it, Right, like it doesn't try to be the exact same movie. Yeah, they're playing... Shirtless football on the beach instead of shirtless volleyball. It has little beats here and there, but they're just paying tribute. Uh, I mean, it's been 36 years. Uh, it's super fun without descending into camp. It's got humor, but it doesn't go overboard uh, because a lot of particularly action movies, they they stuff in all sorts of unnecessary comedy like Michael Bay, for example. He is the worst offender for that, uh, director Michael Bay. So it's got humor, doesn't go overboard. The humor is often very quickly tempered by a serious moment to sort of pull you back in. It's like you enjoy your laugh for a moment and then it's back. Let's get back to business. It has, it does have some cheesy stuff, but I think it just worked. Like they take everything else so seriously, not deathly seriously, but this movie takes itself seriously. Uh, So I thought the cheesy stuff just kind of fit because it very much felt like a movie from the eighties. So I had no problem with any of that. It was just so exciting. I could barely breathe. So many times in those final action scenes, I was rocking back and forth in my seat in the movie theater. My heart was pounding for an hour after the movie, unabashedly crowd-pleasing, when they could have gone down the darker and grittier route to try to make it more modern and serious. Uh, Hopefully, as well, with the use of the practical effects, because there are so many practical effects, and they went through three months of intense grueling flight training so that they could pull the G's required um, to be in the, the aircraft for the stuff that they did. So hopefully this reminds Hollywood that practical effects are still awesome. And clearly there is a demand based on the audience that has gone out to consume this film. Jennifer Connolly, I agree a very nice addition. She, Seems to be, I wonder if she's in on the same pact that Tom Cruise made with the devil. Because neither of these two seem to age, or they're just aging very well. So, yeah, she was a welcome addition. Kelly McGillis, by the way, the original actor, or the original love interest, she says she was not invited back. And in her own words, she says, I'm fat, I'm old, I look age-appropriate. They don't want me in the movie, but she doesn't seem to be bent out of shape about it. Uh, I mean, she's always going to have a place in history in Top Gun, right? It's uh, not—I I know Top Gun's not one of the best movies ever, but it's certainly a beloved film. And uh, this movie was way more emotional than I expected. I was just—I uh, shed a few tears, and um, I just—I don't know. I, I still got to let this sink in. I, I'm going to see it again this weekend. I think I just—I don't know that I've ever experienced spectacle of this magnitude at the movies. So, my verdict, the sectional. Five couch cushions out of five from both of the couch potatoes, the sectional for Top Gun Maverick. You have to go see this movie on the big screen. Uh, Don't care how big your TV is at home and you're gonna wait, no, you gotta go see it at the theater.
1: Absolutely, I'm going again too. I'm going on Tuesday with my girlfriend and her kids. And uh, another thing, before the movie started, during the trailers, speaking of seeing it on the big screen, I assume you saw it as well. They show the Mission Impossible teaser trailer, right? Yeah. And I had watched that thing, I don't know, five times on my laptop and my on my phone beforehand, and it was fine. And we talked about it a little bit last week or the week before, and then, but seeing it on the big screen, that thing gave me goosebumps, and I got, I was. I guess I was already revved up for the for the Top Gun movie, but then the Mission Impossible trailer came on right before it. And I, oh my God, that I haven't been affected by a trailer like that in a long time. So uh, Tom Cruise, just, you get all my money for the next few years.
0: <laughs> yeah, indeed. I got that trailer as well before Top Gun. And it looks like, So much fun. So yeah, Top Gun Maverick. I have a feeling this movie could be sticking around for a while. I think this is going, it's already, it had its big weekend, but I think it's going to get a lot of repeat views. I think word of mouth, you know, people seeing how excited everyone is getting. Although I did talk, I should point this out. I did talk to a guy who says he's on the fence on his verdict. He loved the action, but he thought it was too much like the original and he didn't like that. Whereas you and I, Jeff, did enjoy that. But uh, hmm. just just throwing that out there in case you go in and, you, and then you come out and think the couch potatoes are wrong. They're liars and they're idiots. In a moment, we're going to switch from the big screen to the small screen because Disney Plus debuted a super exciting show last week. And we are fired up. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. We told you about this last week because it was set to debut on Friday two episodes aired on Friday and the third episode aired on Wednesday for the new Star Wars series on Disney Plus Obi-Wan Kenobi you've made mistakes we all did it's the past be done with it and what if I can't Obi-Wan Kenobi. New episodes streaming Wednesdays, only on Disney+. The limited series starring Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi and Hayden Christensen as Darth Vader, i.e. Anakin Skywalker, reprising their roles from episodes 1 through 3 for Star Wars. And this is set 10 years after the events of I- Revenge of the Sith, episode 3, where... Obi-Wan Kenobi is on Tatooine watching over Luke Skywalker, just making sure that he stays safe so that he can grow up to be a Jedi. And I should point out that Disney says Obi-Wan Kenobi set a new viewership record for the streaming platform, becoming the most watched Disney Plus series globally based on the number of hours streamed in that debut weekend. They didn't explain what that means, but I got this from Forbes, who says according to data gathered by Samba TV... S-A-M-B-A which offers real-time TV and research analytics, Samba found that Kenobi drew 2.14 million households from its Friday premiere through Monday. That's slightly more than the 2.08 million who tuned into the second season debut of The Mandalorian during its three-day opening window. And it was also uh, easily it also easily beat the 1.5 million households who watched the premiere of The Book of Boba Fett last December. That never seems like it's kind of low to me, I guess, but... Uh, not everybody has Disney Plus, right? It's not like you can just turn on your television and and watch. But what'd you think, Jeff?
1: Uh, I really liked it. Uh, I will say, the ten years later, I have a problem with that. When characters in the show say it's been ten years, because a year is based on, as far as we know, the Earth going around the sun. What are they basing it on? How does that oh. compare their time to Earth time? Anyways. <laughs> uh, I will also say I tweeted something to that effect, and I got some blowback because Star Wars fans have no sense of humor. Anyways, um, I I really like this show, Uh, and thank God, you know, they leave Tatooine pretty quickly, as it turns out. I know I was complaining about Tatooine again. I mean, at least this last planet that they've been on, it's pretty barren like Tatooine, but there is some grass, so you don't have to look at sand the whole time, which is nice. And you mentioned Darth Vader, and we knew that was coming, but he shows up, and that was still pretty exciting there's a lightsaber fight that takes place outside at night and i think that's a first for star wars live action as far as i know and i was like wow this looks really cool with the lightsabers in the dark like that i I love that and just all the stuff the princess leia's in it as a little girl as well and she's it's a good kid actress she's uh well she's adorable obviously she's sort of like the uh the the mini yoda baby yoda in this uh i suppose (laughs) But uh, and, uh, and I really like uh, Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan. He was sort of one of the, the the good parts of the prequels, which I really don't like. So that he's got his own show, of course, is a good thing. And he's good in this. He's got he's, I like his beard because Obi-Wan Kenobi should have a nice, strong beard. I like that. Jimmy Smith is in it. I called that, too. Uh, I love the Inquisitors that are on. Uh, Obi-Wan's tale, especially the main lady she seems uh, really angry and gnarly and that's going to be a pretty good showdown at some point just got to press pause for a moment here Jeff but we'll continue our thoughts on Obi-Wan
0: Kenobi and then get into Stranger Things 4 next you're listening to the Couch Potatoes I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. We're offering our thoughts on Obi-Wan Kenobi, which debuted on Disney Plus last Friday. Now airs on Wednesday. Three episodes in the bag so far. And uh, Jeff was talking about how he likes the Inquisitor, one of the Inquisitors, played by Riva, acted by Moses Ingram, and actually more on her in a moment. But um, Jeff, you were about to talk about how you like the the bridging between this and the the
1: all of the movies, really. Yeah, I mean, this, the, the story, the small story with Obi-Wan and Leia and everything is fine, and then this bridging that they're doing between, you know, the beginnings of the Empire initially in those prequel movies, and then, of course, we in real world, we cut again to them in A New Hope, where they've just got absolute crushing dominance, so it's kind of cool to check in somewhere in the middle, in between there, and just to see how they've... How, how the Empire is slowly but surely really taking over everything. So, yeah, there's a lot of good things to enjoy in this show. A couple of bad things. It's sort of annoying that it does sort of feel like a bloated movie. I really wish more of these limited series from both Marvel and Star Wars would just do proper weekly episodic adventures. That was one of the best things about The Mandalorian. That one does it. So um, so this one, uh, it's not a huge complaint. It just, it just feels like, oh, they've, they've taken what they were planning for a movie and just extended it to make it longer. And another ongoing problem with a lot of Star Wars stuff in general is that they sometimes just take themselves too seriously and forget to have fun, although I will say in this last episode, the third episode, it was a ton of fun, so maybe the show won't really have that problem. In general, Obi-Wan is, uh, I was going to say off to a good start, but I guess we've already seen half of it already right because it's six episodes so uh it is i'm i'm really enjoying it it's better than i thought it was going to be
0: yep same here i would agree with that i am very impressed particularly with the performance of ewan mcgregor he is doing some really compelling work as obi-wan kenobi because when we last saw his obi-wan kenobi he was swashbuckling right like he was a young jedi and then he was uh he uh, he had become a master, and then he in the third episode he was wiser, but he was still swashbuckling. And then at the end he was obviously distressed and maybe kind of lost. And here we are ten years later, and he is totally lost. He is just a he is a broken man who's basically just being driven by the promise that he made, which was to watch over Luke, but to see the uh, his and this is kind of spoilery here but as jeff mentioned darth vader shows up and to see how that knocks obi-wan off balance figuratively and literally it was quite surprising so i really dug that and i too thought the the lightsaber battle outdoors just in 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 like a really kind of basic setting was so cool um and i loved cuz the only time i think we've seen the the lightsabers in the dark where you get really get to see that glow was in at episode 2 Attack of the Clones. I know that Luke and Darth Vader fought in uh, you know in Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi in the dark sometimes but the glow is just more pronounced now with the modern effects. So I am really 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 enjoying Obi-Wan Kenobi. I just hope we actually get to see Hayden Christensen's face. I mean you gotta, we saw his face for a moment in one of the in the second episode, but I want to hear him speak and that it's not just the voice of James Earl Jones. Do you know if they, if James Earl Jones recorded new stuff or are they using, I meant to look this up, are they using like some sort of a, like a digital recreation of his voice? Because he sounds, it just sounded younger.
1: Oh, really? I I don't know. I I would have thought that he was recording new stuff and then they, you know, use their computers to make it sound how they want it to sound. Yeah, I'll have to double check that.
0: Also notable, uh, sad to see that the actor who plays that Inquisitor Riva, the third sister, who is played by Moses Ingram, she's getting all kinds of racist abuse. She's a black woman, so she's getting people saying stuff like, you're a diversity hire, and she's even getting death threats, which I don't understand because I think she's awesome. She is a fearsome, a ferocious character. So Star Wars, Obi-Wan Kenobi, it's good. That's on Disney+. Plus Now over on Netflix... Broken
1: everything. Your suffering is almost at an end.
0: Stranger Things 4 Volume 1 debuted on Netflix this past weekend. It is a show set in the 80s. It's about a group of kids who, in the first season, stumble into some supernatural adventures and meet another kid who has telekinetic abilities, kind of like a superhero. It was a blast, and it's one of the biggest shows on Netflix. And now, with season 4, Volume 1, it broke the record for biggest ever debut weekend of an english language series on netflix that was previously held by season two of bridgerton According to Netflix's newly released top ten rankings, season four of the Duffer Brothers hit sci-fi series was viewed for 287 million hours during the week of May 23rd to the 30th, landing number one. And for comparison, Bridgerton season two was viewed for 193 million hours over its debut weekend, which happened uh, back in March. Uh, Seven episodes now. The final two episodes, July 1st. Jeff, what did you think of Stranger Things 4?
1: Really fun season for the most part. A lot better than I was expecting, actually. I can't believe, for starters, I'd even watched all of it, but I did. I thought I'd maybe get two episodes in this week, but I ended up watching all of it over four days. I also saw the trailer for season one this week, and my goodness, those kids were babies when this show began i knew they had grown i just hadn't realized how much that was quite a weird thing to go back and look at but no uh and the story the cast is sort of split up into three different groups there's the main story in hawkins indiana there's another story going on in alaska and russia and then there's another story going on in like california utah nevada kind of area and the story in hawkins with uh vecna which is this uh crazy demon that you're trying to fight. That's uh, my favorite part so far. It's a good mystery being unraveled in an interesting and satisfying ways. And I always love the small town story and you know, it's the essence of the show. It's the Goonies ET vibe. So I like all the stuff going on in Vecna. I like parts of the Russia story were fun. Although I sort of wish they had, would wrap it up quickly and sort of get everyone else back into hawkins and then the other story i didn't really care for at all the kids are getting better as actors the older kids are all awesome especially uh this guy eddie who was makes us wonder how we got this far in the show without him before he's a new to the cast and he's a hoot max i thought was really good this year uh the hair as there's good hair and bad hair i'll, I'll the, the part i didn't like in california the mike and will story i found that pretty boring and those characters are just the least interesting of the bunch and there's a new character there too this guy named argyle and he is just the worst uh i have kind of wanted to fast forward whenever he was on but i was afraid i'd miss some important information so i watched it he also has the worst hair of anybody and lucas has the best hair he's got that kid and play pie top thing going which i really dug and the 11 storyline she's sort of the main character at least she was you know, because she's the crazy superhero of the whole thing. And I was kind of bored by that at the beginning. But then in the last episode, that thing really started cooking and uh, tied everything all together in a way I was not expecting that was really thrilling. The last 15 minutes going into the break were just terrific. I mean, they know how to how to hook us to get us to come back. So overall, I thought it was was, uh, it was really great. It wasn't nearly as gross as I was expecting to, although I, I still can't really watch that Demogorgon thing fight people. That's the grossest monster I've ever seen. So I watched that fight uh, with uh, my hands over my eyes at times. But other than that, all in all, it's been a really stellar season, I thought.
0: Yeah, it. Uh, I, I so enjoyed it. And one thing that's interesting to point out as well, the episodes are long. Like, every, every episode is uh, an hour 18, an hour 17. The shortest one is 64 minutes, an hour 19. The uh, the final episode, the seventh episode, is a one hour and 38 minutes. So that might be too much for some. I think that some of them kind of did drag out a little bit. I thought the fourth episode in particular, which focused uh, heavily on Max, who's played by Sadie Sink, was really good. It was really emotional. I think this this ensemble cast of youngsters is fantastic. They are so great together. They all have great chemistry. The dialogue is is awesome. The villain is scary and then the way that they reveal what this villain is about was A twist I did not see coming. So, yeah, I'm excited for those last two episodes, Season 4, Stranger Things 4. I would also point out that opening theme song and those opening credits, I love them so much. And I hate that you can't disable the skip intro thing that pops up for Netflix. Like... I don't, why, who, anyone who skips through this (laughs) intro in particular is a monster and I don't like them. If, uh, it's one of the best themes of all time. So just get rid of that skip intro thing. I'm never going to use it. Uh, but there, that doesn't look like there's a way for you to remove that functionality in a moment. Jeff owns this city. You're listening to the couch potatoes.
1: Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett, and one of the best shows of the year wrapped up this week. It's HBO's "We Own This City." We're doing our jobs. What do people want for us to stop policing? They want us to do it without the collateral damage. You know, what the Baltimore cops. You don't have complaints. are doing every day. Mm-hmm. They sure as hell ain't policing. And you can't just blame the cops. We serve the politicians who thrive
0: on being tough on crime. And when they reinstated me, they put me in a unit made up of a bunch
1: of the biggest crooks in the whole damn department.
0: These men right here, my detectives, we do things
1: by the book. We Own This City comes to us from David Simon, creator of The Wire, probably the best cop show in the history of television, and he's done it again. Like The Wire, this new show is set in Baltimore. It features a lot of police corruption. Unlike The Wire, We Own This City is based on a true story. The characters are real people. The crimes they committed really happened. Uh, I don't know. I guess I'm naive. I would have thought watching The Wire all those years ago that it would have been a wake-up call in Baltimore and some of the systemic issues would have been changed. But if anything, it's only gotten worse in the years since in the years since. That show was set in the early 2000s. We Own This City is largely set in the teens. And while it has some surface level similarities to The Wire, including a lot of the same cast, it is a very, very different show. The main story is about the FBI investigating corruption within one unit of the Baltimore Police Department, the Gun Trace Task Force, which is a unit that works to get guns off the street. The head of the unit is Wayne Jenkins. He's played by John Bernthal, and Bernthal gives an incredible performance. He is just on this side of the line of Unhinged. He's a twitchy, agitated guy, and he's a wild card. Ben Bernthal clearly is enjoying himself playing the role. It sort of feels hammy, but in a way you believe, and it's just entertaining to say the least. It's also upsetting because everything about this show is upsetting. These corrupt cops pull over black people whenever they like for no reason at all and often end up robbing them, knowing the black people have no recourse. And if they do have to plant a gun or drugs to get their way, so be it. What they're really after though is making big guns arrests because a home that's filled with a bunch of illegal firearms often will also have a big bag full of money and they steal as much of that money as they can get away with. The show also, deals with the upper brass, the justice department, the mayor's office, and how they're all failing the people of Baltimore at every turn. There are some good cops, some good people, some noble people, but they're of course rendered ineffective by the system. The most notable one is a homicide detective played by Jamie Hector, who played Marlo Stanfield in the wire, who was maybe the worst of the bad guys in that show. So he's definitely on the opposite side of the spectrum in we own this city, but he also had a history in that corrupt task force at one time. So even though he's a generally genuinely good guy he might not be able to wash the stink of corruption off of him just from working near it for a little while the show very much has this uh, you know no good deed goes unpunished kind of ethos and the structure of the show is very interesting it's non-linear it bounces back and forth through time there's the 2017 FBI investigation which is for all intents and purposes the present and then there's flashbacks to the incidents they're investigating And these things, these stories, these flashbacks often pepper their interrogations of members of the task force. The FBI agents are played by Dagmara Dominic, who plays Carolina on Succession, and Don Harvey, who was the carry out your assignments henchman and Hard two he's great in this way better than he was in Die Hard two the storytelling incredibly complex i was actually a little worried at first i wouldn't be able to follow it but i had that same worry about the wire and that turned out well and they do a good job of reminding you what time period you're in because it's bouncing back and forth all the time and even if you do get a little lost now and then you'll still get the gist of it i would say though because of that it is kind of a good show to watch quickly like watch two a night for three nights There are only six episodes altogether. Each episode's about an hour. And it's also a mini series with a pretty definite ending. Pretty sure this is, you know, one and done. There won't be a season two. Like I said, it's one of the best shows of the year. It might be the best show of the year so far. Smart, entertaining, infuriating, heartbreaking, clever, just gripping. You can't help but get sucked into it. I highly recommend watching We Own the City. It was on HBO. It's all there on Crave right now. Uh, Definitely worth checking out.
0: Cool. Well, n- another one of my buddies was asking me if I have been watching it. And I said, no, I haven't checked it out yet, but Jeff's all over it. So now that the both of you are giving it a ringing endorsement, <laughs> I should uh, take a peek at that. Also, uh, I see that what's something else that's pretty cool on Netflix this weekend.
1: Yeah, it's uh, on the opposite side of the spectrum. A new comedy special from the late, great Norm MacDonald has been released on Netflix.
0: Ben you're a comedian. They expect you to know things nowadays. You know what I mean? It didn't used to be like that. Like during the Vietnam War, they wouldn't go, wonder what red skeleton thinks on this. But nowadays, like I've heard, they go, The a comedian is the modern-day philosopher, you know? Which, first of all, it always makes me feel sad for the actual modern-day
1: philosophers who exist, you know? It's a bit of a different kind of stand-up comedy special than you usually see. Uh, Norm MacDonald recorded this at his home in the summer of 2020. It was the night before he had to undergo a medical procedure, and he grimly referenced the move as, quote, not wanting to leave anything on the table. So this special is just that practice recording he did, just him sitting at his computer with two cameras on him, going through his latest hour of material all in one take like he was doing it live, the intent being that it would be done properly as a comedy special in front of an audience at one point. But of course, just over a year later, he died from cancer. So it's a different sort of thing to watch because, you know, there's no audience. It is still very funny. I laughed out loud a lot. And it's classic Norm. We can't repeat most of it, of course. But if you're a fan of Norm MacDonald, you will enjoy it. He does mention death a lot, uh, which without the context wouldn't be noteworthy. But of course, in hindsight, knowing what we know now, it does add an emotional layer to the whole thing. And then after the special, which runs close to an hour, There's a fantastic 30 minutes of reaction from some of his friends, including Dave Letterman, Dave Chappelle, Molly Shannon, Conan O'Brien, Adam Sandler, and David Spade. It's a great special, well worth checking out if you're a fan of Norm Macdonald.
0: That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.